views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show is pre-recorded. Everyday Wealth is produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky. Ms. Chatsky is not an employee or client of the firm. She receives fixed cash compensation as host and for related activities, and therefore has an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com slash everydaywealth. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed by the firm, technology spending, staff diversity, succession planning, and other metrics. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with personal finance expert, Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Everyday Wealth. So glad to have all of you with us today. So you got six weeks. Six weeks, that is, until tax time. The filing deadline to submit your 2022 tax returns or an extension if that is the way you roll. And pay taxes for the 2022 filing year is Tuesday, April 18th. Now that does not sound like a lot of time, but there are strategies that you can use depending on your personal financial economy, your personal tax situation to potentially reduce the amount that you owe on your 2022 taxes. I know you all just opened your ears. We will talk about those strategies in just a moment. But first, if you haven't done your taxes yet, you are not alone, not alone by far. And I just want to set your expectations and highlight some of the big changes that we experienced this year. First, Let's just dispense with the bad news. With pandemic relief programs expiring, many people are going to see a smaller refund. Many people are going to see a higher tax bill this year. And that's simply because there were several things in the mix before 2022 that boosted some tax credits to levels that we are no longer experiencing. They have fallen back to pre-pandemic levels. The, the biggest one of these on the menu is probably the popular child tax credit that actually was responsible for raising a lot of children out of poverty while it was still in force. There is still some relief available for those of us with kids. It's just no longer at the level where it was. But there is some good news on the horizon because of inflation, the standard deductions and income tax brackets have shifted in a way that is going to help a lot of you as well. Let's touch on five important changes to be aware of before you file your 2022 tax return. And just by the way, if any of these uh, make your eyes open very wide because you've already filed your return and you're worried that you didn't get the most back that you possibly could. You should know that it's always possible to file an amended return. So number one on the list is the standard deduction. And standard deductions are larger 
this year. The standard deduction is the amount that you subtract from your income. It is adjusted every year for inflation. And because inflation was up a lot last year, the standard deduction is up a lot as well. What that means is that fewer people are likely to itemize because the standard deduction is actually going to be more valuable to them. So here are the standard deduction amounts for 2022. For single taxpayers, you're looking at $12,950. For married couples filing jointly, it's $25,900. In other words, double. And for heads of households, it's somewhere in the middle, $19,400. The second big change to be aware of is that tax brackets have shifted up. Not tax rates. Tax rates are the same, but tax brackets. And what this generally means is that more of your money will be taxed at lower rates when compared to 2021, the year before. IRS.gov has a very handy list of what the brackets look like for this year. The third change is It's a rough one, and it's what I was talking about earlier. It's the tax credit, the child tax credit. And for many families, it will shrink this year. The the credit drops to a max of $2,000 per dependent under the age of 17. And that's down from about $3,600 for children under age 6 and 3000 for children under age 18 last year that's significant if you've got dependents who are minors this is going to be one of the biggest drivers of those lower refunds or those higher bills this year change number 4 has to do with child and dependent care credits now these are the credits who help parents who are paying out of pocket for child care expenses. And on last year's taxes, qualifying taxpayers earning up to $125,000 could claim the generous maximum credit. For 2022, however, only those earning $15,000 or less can qualify for the maximum credit, and the credits themselves have been drastically reduced. The fifth and the last change that I want to cover here is that last year was a bit of a gimme as far as charitable deductions were concerned, even for those people who did not itemize. There was a $300 charitable deduction available for people who are filing single, $600 for those filing married. That was an amount by which you could reduce your gross income if you donated cash to tax-qualified charities. It's no longer available. Instead, if you want to write off your charitable donations, we're back playing by the old rule book, which means that you have to itemize in order to do it. Now, all of these changes add up to a pretty high likelihood that your taxes went up in 2022. Once again, not for everyone. And once again, it depends on your situation. And we should be pretty real with all of you and just put it out there. This year, is just the first 
of these expirations of pandemic era tax breaks and credits that we're going to see. Many tax breaks that were associated with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was passed in 2017, they're going to start going away next year and the year after that, all of which means that it's more important than ever to get strategic about the tax planning that you're doing. That's what we need to do in order to reduce our taxes, perhaps not for this year, but certainly for years going forward. And to do that, I want to bring Edelman Financial Engines wealth planner Andy Smith into the conversation. We're going to talk about some strategies that you can use to reduce this year's tax bill. And we're also going to talk about different ways to plan ahead. Andy, it is always great to see you. Welcome back to the show. Good, Jean. Great to see you. How you been? I've been pretty good. I, I think I was better before I started discussing all the downer <laughs> yeah. news for tax filers yeah. this year. How, how, how are you feeling about your taxes? Are you done? Uh, haven't even started. Haven't even started. Okay. So I got a, I got a shoebox that I'm throwing stuff in and then, you know, there's a file on my computer where I'm dumping a bunch of electronic stuff right now. But, uh, yeah, just not even on my radar at this point. So not, uh, not ahead of the game at all. Um, you're making me and I know a lot of other people feel better. <laughs> Um, yeah. simply by yeah. saying that. Let, yeah. let, let's talk about some strategies that sure. people can use to reduce their tax bill, if, especially if they are looking at the expiration of these credits that we talked about and, and thinking, well, this is great. What am I going to do now? Right. So there's a couple of different groups or a couple of different types of strategies, right? There are some that help to increase your refund. And then there's some strategies that help to decrease your tax bill. So this is where I tell people, look, I'm not a CPA. I do this obviously for myself and help clients through this, but there's a lot of things that are specific to your particular situation. So a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about, just keep in mind, run you know, past your tax professional there to make sure that it's germane to your particular tax bill. So now that said, um, the first three strategies that I'm going to share could potentially help reduce your adjusted gross income, and therefore your tax liability. A little bit later, we'll talk about the other side of that, but right now it's mostly reducing income. So the first strategy is to contribute to what's called a deductible IRA or a pre-tax IRA. It's a traditional IRA. This is not a Roth. Um, to qualify for a full traditional IRA deduction in 2022, you got to do a couple of things. There's a couple of criteria. Number one, you cannot be eligible to participate in a company retirement plan like a 401k or a 403b, all right? Number two, if you are eligible for a company retirement plan, you got to have an adjusted gross income less than $68,000 if you file single. If you file married joint, you got to have an adjusted gross income less than 109000 so it's not just like anybody can do this. There are certain income requirements that have to be met. So number one, you can't participate in a plan. Number two, if you can participate in a plan, you got to watch some in income limits. And number three, with the IRA, if you are not eligible for a company plan, but your spouse is, then your IRA contribution is fully deductible as long as your combined AGI 
your combined adjusted gross income is less than $204,000. So that that number three, that, is that the spousal IRA that you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. So, you know, when you think about it, sometimes in a couple, one person's covered, one person's not. One person's covered and does this, this, and this. Uh, you have to keep that $204,000 AGI limit in mind there for these for these pre-tax IRAs. Now, this it kind of goes without saying, but you should always be trying to max out your, your company plan first, your workplace retirement plan. This is kind of like add-on stuff. So don't forget to really try to take as much advantage as you can of that workplace retirement plan first. If you are in a workplace retirement plan, but you've got a side gig, you've yep. got some income on the side, does that income qualify you then to make a deductible IRA contribution or no, it doesn't? Um, so I'll, I'll talk about that by talking about self-employed people just kind of in general. So if you're self-employed, you get these kind of crazy numbers and these, these pretty remarkable, uh, contribution options for your kind of side hustle for this, you know, small business, your number, you know, you could contribute, uh, you know, possibly up to $61,000, for 2022. And these are typically the KEO or what they call SEP IRA plans. This is what you're talking about for these self-employed persons. Um, you know, people kind of running, you know, things on the, on the side for that. Um, if you have a KEO, if you have a SEP, you actually get a filing extension uh, all the way out to October 16th of this year. And you can actually wait until then to make contributions to all of these accounts. So remember when I said, hey, everybody's situation is kind of a little bit different. Everything's specific to you. If you have a full-time job, if you also have, um, you know, kind of a side business, if you are self-employed, uh, there's some things that you can take advantage of. I would strongly urge you to talk to your tax professional, to your CPA, so that because you, there's, there's a lot of things that you might be able to take advantage of that far surpasses what you would only be focusing on with that one full-time job. So I was in this boat for a very long time. I had one full-time job and then I had some yeah. side hustles. And the advice that I got was Kios are much harder to manage and deal with than SEP IRAs. That a SEP IRA is the is the simpler, easier option. Still true? Um so as uh, so I'll I'll answer that question from my from my side as you know an advisor as a planner helping to set them up and manage them and help with contributions and everything else yes the SEP IRA is a lot easier to kind of manage and maneuver for people than the KEO now that doesn't mean if you have a KEO to just blow it up and then do something else there's just a lot of things that have changed over time. And the, the SEP IRA for a lot of people, especially if it's just a single proprietor or a very small family business where you're not really hiring in a lot of people to manage who is and who is not qualified or eligible to participate in the plan, um, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of better options there for you on that side. There's a third strategy I know, Andy, that you wanted to, to talk about as well. It has to do with health savings accounts, which are one of my favorite kinds of accounts. Yeah. So with the health savings accounts, the one big prerequisite is that you have to have a high deductible health plan. 
But if you have that high deductible health plan, you are eligible to make contributions to these health savings accounts. Um, You actually have until the tax filing deadline on April 18th this year to make contributions to your HSA for 2022 taxes. You just got to make sure to notify the company that's managing your HSA that you are assigning these contributions to the 2022 tax year. It's not just, hey, as long as you put it in before April 18th, everybody just magically knows that this is where it goes. You, you have to let people know that you're assigning it to a particular calendar year. Well, that's important because a lot of people contribute to their HSAs the same way they contribute to 401ks, right, through paycheck deductions. And so if you're if you're right. truing up for 2022, I guess you are going to want to flag it kind of the same way you would want to flag it if you were making an extra mortgage payment and you wanted to make sure it went to principal. Right. It's just, you know, it's the, it's the trust, but verify it's the, you know, measure twice, cut once sort of thing. It's totally doable. People do it all the time. It's just, you have to take that extra step to make sure that you're assigning it to that particular calendar year. So, you know, again, three strategies, focusing more on the adjusted, you know, gross income in terms of uh, pre-tax IRAs, um, self-employed people with the SEPs, and then with these HSAs, all hope is not lost. There are some ways to kind of carve out some goodness here. So there really can be some some rainbows and unicorns when it comes to some of this stuff. Rainbows and unicorns. We always <laughs> yeah. count on you, Andy, for those. Uh, you know, uh, thank you so much. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly. We got to take a quick break. Um, I want you all to just think about those strategies Andy shared with us so far. Think about whether they might work for you and stick with us because when we come back, we're going to be dealing with some strategies that have broader applications, digging into deductions that you do not want to miss. Hang tight. We'll be right back on Everyday Wealth. Are you worried about the current volatility of the market, inflation rates, talk of a recession? Are you second-guessing your investment decisions? What better time than now to ensure your finances are moving forward than by getting an expert second opinion from an Edelman Financial Engines planner? Whether you already have a planner or simply need a new perspective, they can help you manage your wealth plan to both weather the volatility of the market today and help you protect and preserve it over the long term. To schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today, call 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833-752-6333. Or visit their website at efewealthplanners.com. Put your uncertainties to rest once and for all. Schedule your complimentary wealth checkup right now. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for sticking with us on Everyday Wealth. We are talking with financial planner Andy Smith. He is sharing some much-needed last-minute tax tips. And the last three strategies that we talked about focused on lowering your adjusted gross income, which is one way to lower your tax bill. Uh, But not everyone is eligible for a deductible IRA. Not everyone certainly is self-employed. Not everyone has a high deductible health plan. So Andy, talk to me about some strategies that may apply to more people. Right. So before we talked about things on the income side, now we'll talk about things on just how to kind of save on the taxes. So a couple of ideas, one tip. Um, Idea number one, you know, you talked about this standard deduction earlier, and this deduction is typically easier to take um, than if you itemize deductions. 
a lot of times you may save more on your taxes if you itemize, if any of these situations apply to you. Number one, you live in a high tax area like California, Hawaii, New Jersey, New York, uh, Oregon, Minnesota, Washington, D.C. All right. So it depends on where you live, the appropriateness of itemizing. Number two, if you own your own home. Uh, Number three, if you're self-employed. So everybody gets the standard deduction, but some people may choose to itemize based on their particular situation. So work with your CPA, work with your advisor to figure out what's going to be most appropriate, uh, you know, for your situation. Idea number two, you know, itemizing your deductions may be worth it when your qualified expenses add up to more than the 2022 standard deduction. So qualified expenses, what falls into that bucket? Oh, the big thing a lot of times are these, um, you know, a portion of medical expenses that exceed seven and a half percent of your AGI, your adjusted gross income in 2022. The idea is you keep these kind of standard deduction numbers in mind, 12,950 for singles, 25,900 for married filing joint. If you're doing a lot of charitable contributions, if there's a lot of, you know, mortgage deductions, if there's things that you think in the back of your mind are starting to add up to more than this 12,950 to more than this 25,900, yeah, kind of start going down this itemized road because things may be a little bit better for you if you start to, um, you know, kind of single out all these different expenses that you may have. And, and I know we are dealing with last-minute filing right now, but if you're <laughs> yeah. able to get yourself to think ahead, you know, one thing that may work for people is this idea of bunching or bundling, right, where, where if you are accustomed to giving to charity, you, you try to bunch up your deductions in, in one year and then go a little lighter the next year so that you actually can itemize and, and save a little on your tax bill in, in alternate years. Or if you know that you are due for really expensive dental work or other medical procedures, you know, trying to lump all this stuff together so that you get a tax break in, in one year versus another. But again, you can't do that at the last minute after the whole year has flown by. Uh, yeah, correct. So imagine you're driving down the road and you're trying to swerve out of the way of something right in front of you. You're not necessarily worried about the inflation on your tires at that point. You're not worried about maybe signaling or, you know, making sure that the coffee is in the cup holder. You just want to get out of the way of whatever's in front of you. After that point, then you start kind of looking at everything around you to figure out what has to be in place. So this bunching that you're talking about, we see this all the time. Um, a lot of times people it's not a perfect union, but a lot of times people think about it in terms of these qualified charitable um, distributions, QCDs, from their IRAs if they have to take these required minimum distributions. Remember, those QCDs, you can basically send money directly to these qualified charitable organizations from your IRA, satisfies the RMD. There's a limit. You can't do, you, you got to do less than hundred grand a year. But when people are already thinking about these charitable contributions, it's not so much of a stretch to say, hey, let's figure out the timing of this because it may, be, it may work out to your benefit if you do a little bit more in one year, 
pause, and then maybe wait at some point to, to figure out when you want to do it in another calendar year. But it all comes down to your particular situation and what you're trying to accomplish here when it comes to taxes. And who you're talking to, right? So in, in right. the world of taxes, I talk to my accountant, right? In the world of my IRA, I talk to my financial advisor. A- at this point, you're now triangulating. And, and this is when I would think you, you need to be having a conversation that, that puts this planning that you want to do for your future finances in, into that team approach, uh, yes. So a lot of times, you know, I'm working either directly with the client or I'm working directly with the tax professional on behalf of the client to try to figure out what has to happen and when and how. Sometimes we're dealing with the situation far after the fact. Um, you know, there are times when you make some mistakes or there's some penalties or, or there's some late fees that are involved with how and when, um, you know, you, you ended up paying or missing these tax filings. So the idea is if you have questions, reach out for help. There's a lot of people who can kind of, like you said, help triangulate what's going on in your particular situation. So it's not just you having to pull up something online and figure out what the heck you have to do here come April 18. You know, the penalties and the late fees, I mean, you you sort of just threw them away as an aside, but they can get really substantial. Yeah. Yeah, if so, here's the deal. If you can't finish your return by April 18th. You make sure that you file a form 4868. It's an extension. And that form gives you an extension to file file your taxes until October 16. You still got to pay your taxes, right? Based on a reasonable estimate of what you owe. So it's not like you just file form 4868 and say, you know, see you in October. Um, But it just kind of puts your foot in the door before everything closes entirely on April 19. Um, The risk... If you are late on filing is that the IRS can charge you a late filing penalty of 5% per month of the tax owed. So just that's underline that. Just underline yeah. that. 5%. Yeah. You didn't say 0.5% per month. You no, said so that's, 5%. Yeah, that's, yeah. So if you are late on filing, the IRS can charge you a late filing penalty of 5% per month of the tax owed. Now, you mentioned 0.5%. If you are late on your payment, okay, not the filing, if you're late on the payment, they can charge you a penalty of 0.5% a month on the tax due. Now, there are thresholds, right? It's not, the VIG doesn't go forever. Uh, The maximum late filing penalty is 25%. The late payment penalty maximum is also 25%. So, Uh, it's highly suggested that you keep these dates in mind. It's highly suggested that you do what you have to do and dot I's and cross T's and get Uncle Sam his money um, because there's some pretty stiff penalties out there if you just kind of, you know, throw these away and and forget about them. And I got one more IRS form for you. It's 9465. If you can't pay, the IRS is willing to put you on a payment plan. Um, 9465 is the form that you use to ask for it. But Andy's totally right. Um, If you have a choice, you definitely want to file, even if you can't pay. Because I got to tell you, I mean, 25%, even if that's the maximum, that has the potential to be an awful lot of money. These These are, you know, great tips for people 
all around. And any others that that you're holding on to that you want to just, you know, let loose before we let you go? Uh, yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the idea is always, you know, how can I help cut my tax burden? I'll go back to self-employed people again. Um, this doesn't apply to everybody, but there's a big chunk of people. We actually have a lot of clients who are self-employed people. I don't know, long ago, it just it was the right match or the right kind of you know kismet or whatever else, but I work for a lot of self-employed people, um, freelancers, contractors, you know, people running their own businesses. You should, I highly, highly, you know, urge you to consider taking advantage of all of the deductions that you're entitled to. Um, a lot of these are underutilized. You and I talked to Rich a couple of weeks ago about side hustles and what to keep in mind for all of these tax considerations. I mean, you got trips for business, you got dining out, electronics, computers, phones, cameras, your car, the mileage that you can use while in the act of conducting business. So there's a lot of deductions that you might be entitled to. Don't just throw those away. Um, the other tip for self-employed people is to take a close look at the home office deduction. Eligibility rules have loosened quite a bit to allow self-employed people to take this deduction. A lot of people kind of avoided it because there was this rumor that it's a red flag for an audit. Look, if you qualify for the deduction, you qualify for the deduction. If you're doing the right thing, it shouldn't be a problem. Even people who have gone mobile, right? So this quote unquote home office, um, you know, these digital nomads, they can claim a home office deduction if you use the place wherever you are for administrative or management activities. So all is not lost. If you're self-employed, there's a lot of other stuff that's available to you. You just got to kind of noodle through all this and figure out what makes sense for your particular situation. And when you're taking the home office deduction, there's a simple math formula that you can use to take that deduction these days. I mean, the IRS, it's built into all the tax software as well. The IRS has sort of made it easier for you to compute how much of the, your square footage is eligible right. to be taken. Do you take the home office deduction? Do I? Yeah. Uh, no. I do not. <laughs> so it's, uh, we, we do a lot. We, you know, I, we do a lot still in the office and we're there and everything else. Now, in the past, I have, you know, in, in, in a previous life, we absolutely did. Um, and when, you know, in different businesses that, that we had owned and, and ran, yeah, you're, you're looking for every last thing, single thing. And it's not as though you're trying to, quote unquote, get what's not yours. You're not trying to, you know, beat the system. What you're trying to do is just take advantage of all of these different opportunities that are there written into the tax code. You just have to either kind of work through some things on your own or work with somebody that you trust, either a tax pro, CPA, or tax pro and an advisor to make sure that what you're doing makes sense for your particular situation. Okay, we'll, we'll go with it. I have taken it in the past too. Um, and I, I totally agree with you. If you are legitimately using square footage in your home for work that you're not using for a guest room or as some other space, if this right. is 
designated workspace, I think you should absolutely take it. Um, So thank you for that. We've got a question one of our listeners sent in about I-bonds and paying taxes, and we're going to tee that up. But let me just remind everyone, if you've got a question and you want to run it by a financial planner, one of our wealth advisors, we'd love that. Just go to everydaywealth.com, scroll down to the middle of the page, you'll see a light blue box, and click the button that says ask a question, fill in your information, and it'll come straight to us. We could read yours on the next podcast, and you could become part of the show. This question is from Emily. She writes, I've got a question about taxes and I-bonds. I'm doing my taxes, and I'm looking at reporting my I-bond interest each year versus deferring until I cash out the bond. The Treasury site says to report it with other interest, even though you'll not receive a 1099 INT form. So how do I do this? How do I report this? On the tax return I'm working on, there is a box one for interest income and a box three for interest on U.S. savings bonds and treasury obligations. Do I put the interest amount in both boxes or just box one like I would for bank account interest. Andy, can you help Emily with the answer to this question? I'm sure that this year, because we've seen so many people go gaga over I-bonds, we're going to have a lot of people asking the very same thing. Absolutely. So great question. You're right. Um, I-bonds got super popular. Um, a few clients, you know, were trying to get in under the wire because there are these date resets where you have to apply before the interest rate resets for the next six month period of time. So um, it's like, you know, standing in line buying Pearl Jam tickets in college, but then you're, you know, the one number behind the lottery that they pick. Anyway. Or, or Taylor um, Swift tickets right now. Or insert name of favorite band here. Yeah. So with the taxes on the I-bonds, here's the situation. Interest on your bonds is subject to federal income tax, but not state and not local income tax. Um, There's, you know, any federal estate gift and excise taxes and any state estate or inheritance taxes still there. Okay. So it's not just like you, you buy these things and then you're just completely free of, you know, the obligation here. So when you're talking about the interest on these bonds, you got to talk about how you actually get the interest on your I bonds into the account. So your I bonds earned interest from the very first month that you own them. However, you only get that interest when either you cash them in or when they mature. All right. So Melissa mentioned a pretty interesting feature about reporting and paying on the I bonds. You actually get to choose. You can defer the interest until you file a federal income tax return for the year in which you actually get the interest, or you can report that interest each year, even though you don't actually get the interest at that time. So what you're talking about, there's a couple of different things, right? How do I even get the interest? Well, you get it when you you actually cash them in or when they mature, but then you got to figure out when you're actually going to report. You either defer or you report the interest in the year, even though you don't get anything. Now, I have found that a lot of people defer and they don't report the interest until they actually get it. So when you actually do get that interest, you get a 1099 INT just like everybody else. So that's why you didn't receive one, Melissa, for last year. But 
you know, you can choose to report the interest every year. Some people do this. Uh, Some people report the interest in a child's name. The child may have a lower income tax, right, than they they will have later when the bond matures. So it, it has to do with when you're getting it and when you report it. Um, on, on the taxes. Now, whatever you do, if you defer, if you report in the year, you can change the method that you report from deferring to reporting each year. You can do it without asking for, you know, the, the permission from the IRS. You got to do this for every savings bond that you own under that social security number. So it's not like you target one or two, you know, particular bonds and you do this and then for everything else you do that. It's all together. You can switch from reporting it each year to deferring the interest. Look for form 3115 and that's the thing that that's the form that kind of unlocks all of these options that you're trying to do. And just to answer her specific question right. about which box she puts it in, she she reports it with her overall interest income, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, to report your interest on the tax return, it goes on your federal income tax return on the same line with all of your other interest income. Don't report it twice. Okay. Don't report it as interest income and then in some other place because you could end up getting taxed twice. So hopefully that helps. If you have other follow up questions, you know, send another email. Um, We can work through a lot of different things, but generally that's what you're looking for. When do you get the interest? How do you report the interest? And then where on the actual form do you do that? But very helpful to know you can't pick and choose. Right. It's it's like recharacterizing Correct. a Roth. You gotta you gotta follow the rules and, and look at everything that you've got under your particular social security number. Absolutely. Oh boy, Andy, taxes make my head spin, but I you you really cleared a lot of things up and I think that um, I'm sure that you helped a lot of people get through another season, maybe even saved them some money. So thank you so much for that. Absolutely. Happy to help. And just one more reminder, if you've got a question for a financial advisor on taxes, retirement income, investments, estate planning, insurance, really any financial planning topic, send it. Send it to us. Just go to everydaywealth.com, scroll down, look for the blue, ask a question button, click on it, type in your info, and then send it my way. As we learned this show, so many pandemic era tax breaks and credits expired. And unfortunately, that is only the beginning. You'll see that the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act from back in 2017, it's going to start sunsetting next year and in 2025. That is, of course, unless it's extended. But right now, looking at what's happening in Washington, D.C., that doesn't look likely. In addition to this expiration. We are also dealing in D.C. and overall in the country with a deficit that is spiraling and inflation that is wreaking havoc. When you add it all up, it is very likely that you and I and many Americans are going to see higher taxes in the years ahead. But there's hope And the hope lies in starting to plan right now. There are steps that you can take to improve your personal tax situation, your personal financial economy 
if you do some careful planning and if you solicit the help of experts. And that's why we're going to devote many shows this year to the topic of taxes in the coming months. If you need help with your tax strategy, call Edelman Financial Engines. They've got a team of experts, including in-house CPAs and planners like Andy who can help you keep more of what you earn. We are committed, as always, to helping you protect and grow your wealth. And in the coming years, that's going to increasingly include planning for and managing your taxes. But don't worry, we are by your side with education, guidance, and recommendations. So be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast wherever you stream your favorite podcasts, or just visit everydaywealth.com where all of our episodes are stored. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a great rest of the day. I'm Jean Chatsky, and I'll be back with you next time. You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth with Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. If you've missed an episode or are interested in additional personal finance topics, be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast. Our podcast library offers helpful insights on topics such as tax-efficient portfolios, retirement withdrawal strategies, investing, and financial planning, to name just a few. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.